0: Welcome to the Waymaker Fireside Chat Podcast, where our purpose is to grow your life and change the world. In this episode, we'll be discussing changing lives through food. Lewis Carr is the founder of Waymaker, the Lewis Carr Internship Foundation, the Blueprint Men's Summit, president of media sales at BET Networks, and author of Dirty Little Secrets. Today, we're sitting down with Chef Jeff Henderson to discuss his culinary journey, passions, and practical advice to listeners. Let's get started.
1: Good afternoon, everyone. I'm Lewis Carr, the founder of Waymaker. And today, on the Waymaker Fireside Chat, we have the privilege of talking to Chef Jeff Henderson, one of the top chefs in the country. With not only food recipes, Chef Jeff gives you recipes for life. He's had his own TV show on the Food Network, He has been featured on Oprah's Life Class. He's also an author. He's been on Good Morning America, The Today Show, CNN, and many more. Chef Jeff, welcome
2: to the Waymaker Fireside Chat. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Lewis. How you doing, man? Uh, I'm excited. I'm I'm here in Las Vegas. Springtime is here. And uh, we're cooking up some hope for these young folks. And I got some good food going on out here. How's it out there in Chicago? Uh, it's good. A little chilly
1: right now. Okay. Uh, But that's an amazing kitchen behind you, man. That's a beautiful
2: kitchen. Yeah. You know, it's, 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 it's funny because, you know, this has been a childhood dream of mine for many, many, many years is to open up a kitchen, a safe place, um, in the impoverished community right here in Las Vegas to give young people a second chance, especially those who come from underserved communities, uh, may have been impacted by the criminal justice system or, or or aged out of the foster care system. So when you talk about the American dream and when you talk about happiness and feeling fulfilled, uh, at 56 for the first time, uh, probably in the, in the past 30 years, I'm finally feeling uh, fulfilled uh, with this opportunity to pay forward uh, in my community.
1: So give us some details, Chef Jeff, on that project. You know, how did you come up with that? How did you start it? And and what impact are you trying to make with the Chef Jeff Project?
2: Well, you know, the Chef Jeff Project is really uh, was born out of my community service work for the past 24 years since I was released from federal prison on drug charges. And as I begin to build my career since 1996, I've always found a way to try to help uh, disadvantaged folks get access. Uh, cooking jobs in the industry, whether it was in hotels, whether it was in restaurants, or catering. And then, uh, um, I'm going to speed it up forward, Uh, eventually became the head uh, chef, the executive chef at Cafe Bellagio here in Las Vegas. And from the work I've been doing for all these years, I got a phone call one day from a literary agent in New York City. And uh, he says, hey, Chef Jeff, uh, I heard about your story it's very powerful. It's amazing how food transform your life. And then I said, he said, listen, would you like to do a book deal? Uh, and I said, sure, why not? You know. And uh, he flew out to Vegas, and he says, look, I want to pitch your story. I think I can get you a book deal. Uh, let's write a proposal. I said, okay. Uh, we wrote the proposal. We went back to New York, and uh, he shopped it. And a book went into auction uh, with some of the biggest uh, book publishing companies in the country. And then um, I got the book deal with William Morrow, wrote the book called Cook from the Streets to the Stove, from cocaine to foie gras. And then uh, wind up uh, selling the rights to Will Smith, Sony, Columbia. Then I got the Food Network show. I started doing public speaking. And then my Food Network show was called The Chef Jeff Project, where I took six at-risk kids off the streets of South Central L.A. and launched a catering company in Beverly Hills, where I used food as a therapeutic, Uh, uh, rehabilitative tool to help these young kids begin to see themselves in a different light and hopefully see the world in a different light. So it was really about the life skills. Food is really just an activity. So then here goes 15 years later, uh, pandemic hits. So I stopped. I wasn't traveling much anymore. And I stumbled across this ghost kitchen here in the highest poverty community here in Las Vegas. And I said, this is my chance now to give back in a bigger way. So we did the Food Network show, the Chef Jeff Project relaunch into a model kitchen where we bring young people from diverse backgrounds, uh, foster care system, system impacted, high functioning autistic kids who are failing in school or have failed out of school to bring them into a safe place to use food to hopefully transform their life. So that's how it came about. So Chef Jeff, how did you get into
1: cooking? You know? Uh, where did you start that? Thing? I mean, did you grow up knowing how to cook? Did you learn how to cook from your mama, your grandmama? How wow. did you get into cooking?
2: You know, a lot of people ask me that story. And again, my rise to chefdom is very untraditional. I never dreamed of cooking ever in my life. You know, my grandfather, my grandmother were great cooks, my sister and my aunts. I was just a professional eater, not a cooker. Uh, And then, you know, I got caught up in the drug game in the 1980s, that whole crack pandemic that swept black communities all across this country and started incarcerating, you know, one out of four black males from uh, 16 to 28 years of age. I got caught up uh, during that period and was sent to federal prison where I spent 10 years. And I actually got fired on my gravy job in prison, the Cadillac crew, and the punishment was pots and pans. And they threw me in the kitchen. And where other inmates saw punishment, I saw opportunities. And I realized the inmates who worked in the prison kitchen got to eat better than the rest of the inmates. So the rest, they say, is history. And that's when food found me in a very, very dark place. So, so
1: Chef Jeff, who was the, the chef in prison who taught you how to cook or taught you recipes? Did you, did you make an intentional decision like, I'm going to learn how to cook? Or did you just watch the guys cooking in the kitchen there and picked it up?
2: Yeah, you know, a great question. You know, I, I never had intentions on being a cook. I kind of just picked it up by helping the brothers in the kitchen uh, who was cooking, whether it was baked chicken, fried chicken, vegetables, mashed potatoes, biscuits, and gravy, all the traditional correctional food. And there was an inmate in prison by the name of Friendly Womack, who was the eldest brother of Bobby Womack and the lead singer of the Valentinos. He was the head in May Cook. And me and this guy got cool. You know, I started helping him out and I was tasting his food and I got so good, eventually when he got released, they made me the head in May Cook. And so he became my mentor. Uh, He helped set the tone and plant the seed uh, that I had a potential future uh, when I come out of prison. And when I got released in 1996, uh, I reached out to Mr. Womack. And uh, uh, he gave me his blessings. Uh, I read an article in the USA today about Marcus e. Samuelson, Patrick Clark and Robert Gatsby, and these chefs were some of the top black chefs in the country. And when I read about these brothers that was doing you talk about waymaker man. These were like some uh, waymakers that was not physically able we weren't able to touch these guys. We were in prison reading about these waymakers. And you think about how they impact my life. And I said, man, if these brothers can do it, I can do it. I just didn't know Black men were cooking like diver scallops, foie gras, venice, and veal. You know, I didn't know the difference between a prime steak choice or select steak. And here I saw these beautiful Black men with these white and Black chef coats, you know, at the helm of fine dining restaurants at the A. Adams Hotel in Washington, D.C., Gatsby's at 672 Wilshire and La Brea. Everyone knows Mark U. Samuelson, formerly of AquaVeed and Red Rooster in Harlem. And they really gave me the momentum and the belief that I can take this correctional style cooking and flip it into a high-quality skill set that would allow me to be successful and eventually take care of my family.
1: So the Waymaker Brand is about educating, motivating, and inspiring people to live their best life in order to improve their families, their communities, and overall their country. Mm -hmm. Why have you felt it was so important for you to be a way maker for others? What happened in your life? Who touched you in such a special way that you said, I kind of feel a debt to pay it for?
2: Yeah, wow, you know, Um, I never, most weight makers never set out to be a weight maker, I believe. Uh, God sometimes put us in a position and gives us favor based on our lived experiences and our capabilities to have impact, to be social influencers. So many people helped me while I was in prison. Let me tell you, my prison experience was the best life experience for me. I don't say this to young kids or young people, go to prison, transform your life. But I had the Malcolm X effect in prison. You know, I've met brothers from the Nation of Islam, Sunni brothers, brothers from the Black Panthers, a BLA, Black Liberation Army, who gave me my first books ever I read in my life was Hakeem out of booty right out of Chicago. He gave me a book called Black Men, Obsolete, Single, Dangerous. And when I read this book for the first time in my life, cover to cover, I read about black men just like you, Mr. Carr, who were executives, who were CEOs of companies, who were intellectuals, who were global thinkers and bankers. And I was like, why did they ever give me a book like this in school? I mean, I was so inspired by seeing men who look like me, who walk like me, who came from the same background I came from, who were able to break through the glass ceilings and be great in life. And so. As I began my journey out of prison and I decriminalized in that place, I said to myself, I owe a debt to society. I owe a debt to young black men in my community and all across this country because I'm 56. And a lot of the black men of the 1980s during the crack cocaine pandemic, we were the co-architects and influencer of a criminal culture that runs deep in black communities all across this country. And I said to myself, if I can decriminalize, figure out what my greatest strengths are, and focus on those strengths and those gifts, I can become an example to the young homeboys and young homegirls in the community that feel that street, illegal street hustling is the only way. And so throughout my whole career, I've been mentoring. Uh, I've been giving access uh, to people who normally wouldn't get that access. Uh, I begin teaching uh, other men how to build a brand. Myself coming out of prison, I was pretty yoked up. Uh, I didn't smile. And I had to build a brand I had to learn how to smile. I clean shaved my face. I took makeup to cover my earring hole up. I invested in getting my teeth fixed. You know, and it's funny because a lot of young people really don't understand the importance of that personal brand and mastering middle class values. And that was, that was, that was, I would have to say that was the core of me becoming a waymaker maker and what I was doing back then and what I'm doing today.
1: You know, one of the things we're trying to do, Chef Justin, you you just touched, most people don't start out to become a waymaker. We're trying to insert intentionality into people who have experience, resources, and relationships. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to motivate people to get off the sidelines and become a waymaker. I'm trying to motivate people who see problems and have experience to give solutions to be a waymaker, how would you suggest and how do you think we can motivate more people into becoming part of a waymaker community?
2: Yes, a uh, great uh, uh, question. Very, very powerful and profound. And let me let me set the tone for the answer for this. What hap- What has happened in our community, the African-American community, we have been divided between the have and the have-nots. And a lot of our folks who are successful today, you know, they, they, they're, they're not clear on um, what their purpose in the role and the debt that they owe to the people in the struggle, to people who made it possible for our folks and people who look like us to be, be successful. So I believe that every Black man, every Black woman who has made it, has an obligation to reach back and crack that door open and give people access but we have to become bigger influencers. We have to begin to get our hands dirty. We can't just write a check and throw money at the problem. We need to come back into the community, put our Chuck Taylors on, put our 501 Levi's on. We need to get in the streets and we need to become physical influencers and physical investors. It's not just the money. We need to expose our young people to the American dream. We need to expose them that there is a huge neighborhood called the world. And once we begin to remove those blinders off our eyes of poverty by exposing our young people, just like the young man I introduced you earlier uh, from Chicago who got shot when he was 14, that was headed to the graveyard, that was headed to the penitentiary, his mother brought him to Vegas. He realized that there's a world bigger than the south side of Chicago. So that exposure, those investments, taking the little homeboys into our nice, upper middle-class homes, taking them on an airplane. Many of the young kids in our program here have never saw the ocean. Come on, never saw the ocean, never been on an airplane, never been to a white tablecloth restaurant. So there's a lot that we have to do. And many of the potential weight makers out there have the resources, have the connections, they have the relationships, and we must, we must pay it forward and create access for our folks. We have, to, we have to become undivided. We can't let fraternities, sororities, East Coast, West Coast, the have, the have nots. You know, a lot of our folks have gotten high brown. You know, the, you got them, you know, pants pulled all the way up. We got to loosen them up a little bit because we all know at the end of the day, at the end of the day, when it's all said and done, it's the people in the community, that always rises to support our successful brothers and sisters when they have a challenge out there in the real
1: world. Let's talk about right now. COVID-19 and its devastation on our communities has been greater than most communities. Uh, On top of that, uh, it has hit our employment rate. It has hit the number of uh, kids who are in school. What would you suggest and how would you suggest to way makers in having some part in trying to get this thing back on track? We know we got to be more conscious about our health and you play a big role in that. We know yes. we've got to be more conscious about education and making sure that kids understand the importance of that. And we know that we've got to care. You know, I was talking to some young people and they told me this. They said three things. Number one, this is what we want. We want people to realize what the environment is doing to us. Number two, we want it to understand how it's affecting our lifestyle. And number three, we want people to care. So Mm. how would you address, what should we be doing right now? Me, you, other executives, community organizers, you know, what should we be doing? Because you work with kids on a day-to-day basis so you understand some of the problems they have. Give us some advice
2: what we do right now. I think, I think at the core of rising above this pandemic is education. And listen, let's, be, let's, let's keep it 100. Black folks have been in our own pandemic for 400 years in this country. When we use the word pivot, Black folks who come from poverty, who have struggled, we've been pivoting our whole life. The problem is, is that we have yet to figure out what our gifts are. And when we figure out what our gifts are, and we, 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 we break away from that culture of laziness, that culture of handouts, that culture of somebody owes me something, and we're willing to accept our lot in life and say, okay, this is what we need to do to make change in order to change the narrative in our life. And this is what I pump in to our young folks. Okay. We got handed a bad deck of cards in life, okay? Many of us didn't have our fathers at home. Many of us grew up in the projects. Many of us grew up in poverty, okay, we get that. We all have experienced some level of that poverty. But until we as a people begin to come together, eradicate that criminal culture in our community, which takes an investment of 35 million African-Americans in this country is the change the economic situation in our community by we must fight that criminal culture in our community because it's all designed to build up this mass 182 billion dollar industry. So the wave makers, the educators, the executives, uh, the community grassroots organizers, we have to begin to teach and give strategies to our people in order for them to see the world different through opportunities. Through access, uh, through employment, uh, through career development. When you talk about education, we gotta talk about our health. How are we eating? What does our lifestyle say about what we're doing? Are we getting exposed? You know, are we listening to our elders who have the wisdom? Like we have the people, the resources, and the lived experience and the wisdom to really make a change in our communities. But until we do that, we will continue to be uh, scattered people, uh, people who continue to complain and, and, and not be able to find a way in life. And this is what's important to me, is showing these kids that you have options. You have the ability to carve out your own version of the American dream, but we must invest in them. We can't be scared of these youngsters. These youngsters cry. They love. They feel. They want the American dream, too. But if they can't see it, touch it, and feel it, they don't believe they can get it. So this is why we have that day-by-day mindset. And the reason why we risk our freedoms for the American dream by doing things criminal, we wind up in the prison system. And that's what's destroying many of our young black men.
1: So here's a softball for you. Tell us the difference between a hustler and a CEO.
2: There is no difference. Everybody's a hustler who's successful. What defines the word hustler is the product, the relationships, and how one conducts business. There is no difference. And that's one of the things I've been preaching over the years is that we got to redefine the word hustler. The word hustler means you have grit. It means you're mental tough. You have the ability to pivot. You have the ability to take a vision, to concept, to marketplace. We've been selling and hustling our whole life. So I always say never lose the hustle, especially our youngsters. We got to change the product, build the right relationship to build the right brand and find a way to get access so we can crack that door open and make sure that we all eat the same way.
1: So as you look back, Chef Jeff, give some advice to the 17-year-old Jeff Henderson. What advice would you give?
2: Well, if I went back to the uh, 17-year-old Jeff Henderson, uh, knowing what I know today with my lived experience, I would have put a lot of value on education. I would have known what my gift was, and my gift really is my ability to build relationships and and the love of love. Um, I've always been a seller. You know, I'm, I'm great at selling. I'm great at marketing. Uh, you know, I was number one newspaper boy when I was a kid. Number one candy seller. Uh, everything that I touch, everything that I embrace, that's within in my lane. I've always been successful. So I think I would have changed. Uh, that piece of me, uh, attitude. I definitely would have had a different attitude about life. Um, I definitely wouldn't have made the choices that I made the quick way, and I would have embraced the long game, the success versus the short game. And this is why many of us cut our lives short by getting killed, or wind up going to prison, or doing illegal things because we're playing checkers and not chess.
0: Define
1: hard work, Chef
2: Jeff.
1: I know you you're involved in a lot of things, and you know a lot of people don't understand the definition
2: of hard work. Define it for us. Wow. You know, for me, hard work is deeply rooted in smart work. You know, sometimes, depending on what career we're in, we have to do the physical work. But while you're doing that physical work, that grind, what you are doing is teaching yourself uh, the, the value of earning a dollar, the importance of getting up early, touching what it is that you're doing, and understanding that line of work or business. Then it comes a time where you have to evolve from the hard work and move into the smart work business to where you put people around you who are subject matter experts in the areas that you may fall weak. And that's what I was able to do, even in my former life, a life I'm not proud of, even when I was a drug dealer, even when I was in prison running a a, a penitentiary kitchen, feeding 1,500 convicts for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I found a way to get people to excel in the areas where I was weak at. So I think what's important is that as we move forward, you know, in life, you know, we got to put the work in. You know, we got to get rid of that welfare mentality. No one's going to give us nothing. Nobody owes us nothing. We may never get reparations. You know, we got to get rid of that welfare mentality. We got to go put the work in. You know, we got to put the work in.
1: So I've been waiting to ask you this question. Uh-oh. So so you you're a chef. They said and you're going to have a dinner and you can only invite three people to this dinner, so it's going to be the four of you, who are the three people that you would invite? It could be dead or alive, but they're going to be alive at this dinner. Who are the three people?
2: One would be Nelson Mandela. Because when Nelson Mandela walked out of prison in 1992, I was sitting on the north yard of Terminal Island Federal Prison. And to see a man walk out of prison after 27 years uh, for what they say he did for the liberation of South African people, but the example he was as a man, as a leader, and of integrity and character after 27 years in prison, that would be a man that I would want to cook for. That would be a man that I would want to walk and hold his hand and hug him because he was the father and the grandfather to all of us. Entire world, no matter what color or creed or skin that you may have. Number two would be Jay Z, and the reason why I choose Jay Z because there's a lot of similarities in Jay Z's life and mine. We both grew up in a single parent home. Our mothers have the same lifestyle. We both were drug dealers. You know, music became his new crack after he left the drug game, and he took that drug game and built it into a multi billion-dollar industry. For me, food became my new drug, and I was able to take culinary arts and turn that into a career. His style of branding, his values of family, community, and things that he do, I would just love to sit down and chop it up with a guy like Jay-Z and cook for him, because he's the younger version of me. We never use drugs. I don't drink. I never you know, use cocaine or anything of that nature. And so I admire him. From afar like that. Uh, Then it would have to be Oprah Winfrey. Um, I've been on Oprah three times. My first time was in 2007 uh, after my first book, Cook, came out. And we sat on the couch and I was very nervous about meeting her because I felt that she was going to really beat me up uh, for the drugs and the stuff that I've done when I was on the streets, even though it was a part of my life I wasn't proud of. But she made me feel really comfortable, especially when she compared her upbringing, her hard work, her grind, and her grit to mine. And it was powerful hearing how she drew parallels between my story and her story. And she closed out our interview with a very simple uh, play of words, a word she said to me. She says, Chef, I say, yes, ma'am. She says, it's never too late to change your life until you take your last breath. And you are a true inspiration to little black boys everywhere. And what I got out of that first interview with Oprah, it wasn't about, oh, I'm on Oprah, I'm gonna become famous and this or that. I felt what Oprah did was give me a platform to do the work I'm doing today because I probably wouldn't be able to do what I'm doing today without that platform, without the platform of Will Smith and the media uh, that came behind my interview. So uh, second would be um, uh, 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 Oprah. Third would be Cindy Potier. Yeah, you you um, gave I me four.
1: You gave me four, Chef Jim. I'm gonna. I'm okay, gonna I gave you, give you give four, me four already. You, you, you okay. gave me three. You gave me Nelson Mandela, Jay Z, and Oprah. I'm gonna let you okay. invite a fourth one. Just say he gonna drop in.
2: All right. Okay, my fourth one is Cindy Potier. When you think of a man that has a spirit, uh, uh, a a a aura of gracefulness. Uh, Being a statesman, I met him crossing a light in Beverly Hills. He was going to a restaurant. He was all by himself. I was doing a catering job for Northern Trust Bank. And I ran up to him and I said, sir, I I know a lot of people come to you. They want to shake your hand. But I just want to tell you that I admire you. I don't want to autograph or anything from you. He looked at me and smiled and he shook my hand. He said, thank you. You would be my fourth guy.
1: Great, great, great dinner. Uh, Let me work for you when you had that dinner, all right? So I I can get a little (laughs) of that knowledge to rub off on me. This is the final question.
2: You got to help me connect it, though. You got to get your Rolodex and call Jay-Z and Oprah so I can cook for them.
1: (laughs) My final question, Chef John. Yes. We've got a new leader of the free world. Give him some advice early in his administration. Give him just one piece of advice. As you know our community, you know what we've been through, you know young people, and you've had a journey that has kind of exposed you to every different phase of life. Give the leader of the free world some parting
2: advice. Listen to the people who have boots on the ground with the lived experience. And you have an extraordinary opportunity as a one-term president, as he said, he's gonna go for one-term president to make the wrongs right of America. And I would like for him immediately to summon Barack Obama to the White House and hang his picture now. And I was really hoping that would have happened on day one the first black president in America, does not have his picture, his portrait, hanging in the White House, like all the 40-something presidents that are there and we're already in to two presidencies, and his picture, his portrait is still not hanging. And if the Obamas left a cast iron skillet, a hot comb, or leftover grits in the White House, I would love to either come there and cook that for you or send it to me and put it right here in my kitchen because I know it's there somewhere. <laughs> oh, man,
1: thank you. This has been great. Uh, tell our listening audience uh, how they can follow you and how they can get involved with some of the things that you're doing.
2: Wow. First of all, uh, Mr. Carr, I appreciate this opportunity, uh, not just to be interviewing here on Wavemakers today, but all the opportunities and the platforms that you have given me to share my life story, share my strategies, and be an influencer. And all the folks who might be tuning in and watching this, I want you to know about the ShepJep Project, a nonprofit 501c3, where 100% of the money goes into the foundation. No salaries. It's a total volunteer uh, a nonprofit. where we take young people who are system impacted, aged on a foster care system, autistic, kids who just have gotten a short stick in life, to bring them in here to use food and baking and hospitality as a therapeutic tool to change these kids' lives because we all must make a commitment to help plug the neighborhood to prison pipeline. And you can learn more about us at the Chef Jeff Project at thechefjeffproject.org and also follow us on Instagram and LinkedIn under Chef Jeff Live and the Chef Jeff Project. God bless.
1: Chef Jeff, thank you. Appreciate it. My and pleasure. the Waymaker community appreciates
2: you. you.
0: Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you so much for listening to this conversation between Lewis Carr and Chef Jeff Henderson. What did you enjoy about this episode? Let us know on our social media at Waymaker Culture. Connect with Chef Jeff and learn more about the Chef Jeff Project at the org. And don't forget to claim your first six months of the Waymaker Journal free at waymakerjournal.com. Subscribe to the Waymaker Fireside Chat Podcast to get notifications each time we release an episode.